everyone. Welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer. Today's topic is all things Ayurveda. For those of you who've been following me for a while, you know that Ayurvedic practices are something I really love to incorporate into my daily routine and into my recommendations for other people as well, as they are so universal. And since we haven't dived into Ayurveda on the show yet, I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Nidhi Pandya. She is a third generation Ayurvedic practitioner and has studied directly from the Sanskrit Samhitas, the oldest available texts on the subject. Nidhi uses Ayurvedic principles to take people on a journey of self-discovery over a period of a few months, of really getting to know the insides of their bodies, as well as the colors of their hair, the size of their clothes, or the textures of their skin. Only then can they filter through all of the information in the health world today and pick what serves them best. She offers people a complete program where they work together on all aspects like diet, lifestyle, exercise, sleep, meditation, and even mental health. I love her approach because it's obviously so customized and individualized, which is the holistic approach that I take to health as well. Nidhi is a faculty member at the Shakti School of Ayurveda, one of the top Ayurveda schools in the U.S., and she also writes for for Ayurveda and Health Tourism Magazine, India's number one Ayurveda magazine. So let's dive in to hear a little bit more about the topic from Nidhi. All right. Hi, Nidhi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today and, and diving into this conversation with us. I'm, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Margaret. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Absolutely. I mean, I, as I shared with you before, Ayurveda is something that Um, I have personally loved learning about and incorporating different practices into my own health journey over the years, and I've been so excited to dive in and share more about it with with my listeners. I think there's so much valuable wisdom in in these ancient practices, so I'm I'm really excited for you as a third-generation practitioner to kind of like set the scene and and really help people understand what Ayurveda is and who it's for and, and how you can practice it and how it might benefit benefit you. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm so ha- I'm always happy to talk about Ayurveda. It's, it's pretty incredible and still very relevant, even though, you know, it's, it dates back more than 5,000 years ago, still very relevant to our times. So it's a great, great science. Yeah, it truly is. And, you know, from the little bit of, of self-study that I've done on my own, like I've, I've benefited a lot from it. But, you know, coming from somebody who it's, it's been in your family lineage and, and there's such um, sort of ancestral history there, I'm so excited to hear more about what, it, what your learning and understanding of it has looked like. I'm sure it's, you've had opportunities to apply it on, on such deep levels in different areas of your life. Um, we try. Yeah. Yeah. We do the best we can. <laughs> so let's just start with the basics. What, what is Ayurveda and how is it practiced and who is it for? Right. So to be honest with you, Ayurveda is as much a science as physics, biology, chemistry is. And by that, I mean to say that Ayurveda is basically a science of universal principles, right? That can be applied anywhere to anybody. It's not that, hey, this works or it doesn't work. It's not like a keto or a paleo diet that can or cannot work for you. It's just, it's just another science that lists out what the, universe, the principles in the universe are and allows you to live your life accordingly. 
the definition basically of health, which is pretty early on in the Ayurvedic texts, uh, is that health is a state where your digestive fire, your tissues, the temperature and the environment in your body, as well as your mind and your senses are working in harmony and in balance with each other. That is the state of health, right? So it incorporates the mind and the senses. Digestion, elimination is a big part of it. Your bodily tissues and your temperature and hormones. And it provides tools to understand when any of these go out of balance and what can be done to bring them back into balance. So it's basically extremely comprehensive and just really has includes everything that you can possibly include about human life. So it's a very holistic pro- approach when it comes to health. Very holistic and very, very detailed. Mm. And when you say the senses, do you mean like the five senses that we're, we're used to, like, like sight, touch, smell, taste? Those? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Amazing. And so Ayurveda is something that, that can apply to anyone. Like you said, it's not just a diet that may or may not work. It's, it's more of a lifestyle that you incorporate to fit what's going on for you internally. Yes. Right. So these are principles. So lifestyle, diet, herbs are the three ways that you can incorporate these principles, but it's more universal principles Universal and timeless principles that can be applied to anybody living anywhere in the world to bring yourself back into homeostasis, which is also we realize in the West, it's the most important function of the human body Mm -hmm. is to come back to stay in balance for you, whether it's your hormones or neurotransmitters or the environment in your gut, everything has to be in balance. So these universal and timeless principles can be applied to everybody. And the tools we use for it are basically through lifestyle diet and herbs. And so obviously you said the goal is we want to come to this place of homeostasis or balance in our bodies. And that is the the kind of ideal state to be in. But would you say that most people are actually not in balance? I, I feel like nobody is in balance, right? Because I mean, just look at the, uh, the sensory overload, right? So the few things to look at uh, is always digestion, Right. I mean, it's like digestion is up there in the list of things Mm -hmm. that uh, that needs to be assessed. Right. That's the only way on a daily basis. The way you can assess what's happening inside your body is through your digestion and elimination. Everything else, whether it's hormones and like all of that kind of comes in much later because the pathology usually has gone deeper for you to notice that a shift has been made. But with your digestion, it's something you can notice on a daily basis. Right. So digestion sleep and how well are you processing things in terms of your senses okay got it and yeah i'd say most people are probably experiencing some symptoms or being out of balance in at least one of those areas if not multiple absolutely yeah so when i speak to people like these are the three areas that i'm always trying to assess and um you know, very quickly we'll find, I mean, and when I say senses, it's also your mind, right? How your mind is taking in information and processing it, whether it's leaving you anxious, angry, agitated. So that is one area. And like, you know, right, like our lives today are definitely not the, the most balanced lives. So yeah, def, I, it's rare to find somebody that is even close to balance. Hmm. 
And so something you and I talked about before was this idea of the internal state. Can you describe a bit more about that and give some examples of, of different states that people might be experiencing internally and what the um, Ayurvedic prescriptions or, or applications for those would be? Right. So, you know, um, and, and, and you mean emotions, right? How emotions affect? Yeah, emotions and like, you know, the, the conditions inside our body, like the condition of, of dry versus heat versus right, exactly. moisture. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, you know, before we get into that, the one thing that I want to explain, right? So how everything is assessed in Ayurveda, right? You can have a completely new new plant growing out there and you could have an Ayurvedic assessment for it because the way we assess anything, whether it's an emotion or literally a substance is by doing this. We notice the properties of that substance, right? The minute you understand the properties, whether the property is dry or hot or cold, where it grows, once we can assess properties, we understand the way it would function, right? It, there's a direct link. It, Ayurveda has a whole list that if this is the property, this is how it will function. And then this is the effect it will have on your body. So anytime we see anything, that's the link we made, make. Property, function, effect on, your, on the human body. So let's, for example, take you know, this whole, the, the, the great example that I like to use is anxiety, right? Chronic anxiety, which is an internal state. And we cannot sometimes imagine that it makes a difference to the physical body, but it does. And I'll tell you what happens. Sure. So in Ayurveda, chronic anxiety, which you experience for days and days and days, basically is a dry, uh, anxiety is a dry emotion. And by that, I mean that anxiety will dry out things in your body, like, for example, the mucus lining in your gut, right? So anxiety will leave your gut very, very dry. When your gut is dry, for example, the acids in your gut, which naturally exist, now become more potent and start hurting the sides of your, of your gut because they're not lined by the mucosal lining, which is extremely important. And then inflammatory conditions in the gut can develop. By that same token, anxiety, that dryness of the anxiety can also dry your nerves. You know, your nerves are essentially protected by this nice soft gel-like substance called the myelin sheath which allows for impulses to kind of slow down and, you know, just flow like a river. But now when it's become all this dry, there's suddenly crazy impulses, more anxiety, uh, anxiety that kind of leads into more anxiety because now your nervous impulses are kind of going all over the place. And that leads to lack of sleep, right? So it becomes a vicious circle. How would you restore something like that, right? So one of the things, like, for example, sometimes it's something as mechanical as, uh, like an oil massage in your head because oil is moist, mm. right? Putting oil even in your ears really helps. There's something called nasya, which is like nostril. These are nostril drops, which you can put every day. Nasya in your nose. You could also do a practice, breathing practice called the alternate nostril breathing practice, right? So uh, even, even a body massage, oil body massage. And then of course, fixing what you eat to make sure that your foods have more moisture in them, not eating dry foods. Very often I see models, right, who kind of eat a lot of dry, low fat foods and um, like your body dries out internally. As a result, there is a lot of anxiety. Uh, they have a lot of models that I work with have inflammatory gut conditions like IBS and SIBO and uh, lack of sleep, insomnia. Yeah. And so there's this connection that I think people might not be making between physical symptoms they could be experiencing and mental and emotional. So 
if somebody, you know, like you said, has anxiety, they might also be experiencing digestive issues or even dry skin, dry, brittle hair, and, and not have made that connection that there's something they could be doing about it. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So it's basically anxiety is a dry emotion. And then you see dryness in your body. That's exactly what it is that anxiety is dry. And then it manifests as dryness, even bloating and gas and just the concept of wind and dryness occurs everywhere. And they're like, Oh, I don't know what's happening with my oil. I'm trying, you know, with my hair, I'm trying to do everything that I can. But yes, you're right. If you're anxious, that dryness will manifest in all kinds of different places in your body. So, um, and, the, and the same thing with anger, right? Anger is a hot emotion when you have bouts of anger. And then you have, you know, you become literally hot blooded and you may get rashes, you may get hives, you may have acne, you may have burning digestion. Uh, you may even start getting rosacea and reacting to the sun right? Because it's a hot emotion. So every internal state, and by the same token, compassion, right? Compassion right. is a warm, moist emotion. That's what compassion is. It's very warm and moist and loving. So people who function with compassion, they naturally actually have better guts and better immunity because there's a lot of fluids protecting their body. Very, very often you'll notice, uh, you know, people who are compassionate, saints, leaders, they also have that moistness in their voice. It's a very soft um, kind of musical voice, right? Mm -hmm. Because that moistness actually even shows into your voice. People who have anxiety, who have a lot of anxiety, they have more shaky, dry voices because there is like a break in the, you know, there's kind of imbalance, wind in their whole vocal cords, not oh, going well. That's so and, interesting. Yeah. And people who have a lot of anger can have like really sharp voices, you know, very sharp and crisp. Um, and they speak also that way. So that, gosh, that's so interesting that even, um, even positive emotions can elicit this internal state and it can go so far as to impact something as like your voice. Um, mm -hmm. So based on what you just said, my, my assumption would be, is the ideal internal state warm and moist? Is that like the, the balance that we're looking for? And I think that is the million dollar idea that Ayurveda provides, right? I mean, a trillion dollar idea, may I say, that Ayurveda <laughs> provides is that, you know, us understanding, right? We talk so much about climate change in the world, and, but understanding your own internal climate. As human beings, right, we are warm-blooded. The state of your environment, because there's constant transformation and cell repair happening, it needs warmth and it needs moisture to protect itself from that warmth. These are the two combinations. It's like Florida in not such it's like Florida in early spring you know it's nice warm <laughs> before it's too bad nice. yeah <laughs> yes before it's too bad right and um, naturally when you're born not everybody is born with that climate inside you know we can all there could be some people who are a little bit drier a little bit more like Arizona a little bit more like Alaska but our goal is to kind of bring us back as much as we can to this warm moist environment today scientists are realizing hey there's something called the probiotic environment what, is, what are probiotics? They're good bacteria. What does bacteria need to thrive and survive? Warmth mm. and moisture, right? And good bacteria, good flora and fauna require warmth and moisture. If it becomes too hot, like let's say a, like a tropical city, Florida, it becomes overly hot. Now there's mosquitoes. So there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria, right? So a gut which is overly hot or a gut which is overly cold where all the good stuff has, has been destroyed and destructed, um, none of them are conducive to transformation and growth. 
So coming back to that warm, moist environment inside our bodies as much as we can is that main idea for physical health. And so is, does what happens on the outside of your body reflect your, your internal state? Meaning like if you're somebody whose body temperature always runs hot, like you feel like you sweat a lot, does that mean you have a hot internal state and, and vice versa? If you're always cold, do you have a cold internal state or are those not necessarily good indicators of, of no they're all great indicators you know they're all great indicators i mean except for the fact that sometimes your gut could be hot but your hands could still be cold and uh, i'm going to i'm going to get into that but generally speaking generally speaking especially you see this more in children because they're more closer to their natural state of balance right yes people who feel very much you know, who feel colder, who feel cold easily, definitely it's indicating that their internal state is a little bit more cold. And people who feel hot easily and are sweating, and you'll notice that all of these things go together, right? Like somebody who feels hot is usually somebody who's also, you know, who has that heat even in their mind, is sharp and focused, could even be angry, Mm. you know, like spicy food. It all kind of, everything is hand in hand. All of these properties go together. Now, the only thing is sometimes you could have a hot gut, but you could have cold hands. And that usually signifies uh, poor blood circulation. Okay, got it. And, and so what would be, what would be some, some different habits that you can start to use to address bringing your body back into a state of balance? Yes. There's, yeah, and I know something you and I have talked about is that there, there are a lot of kind of wellness trends and habits that have been um, surfacing or resurfacing lately that actually have their roots in Ayurveda. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to, to hear your take on, on some of the, the things that are being practiced right now that are just fads and the things that are actually rooted in, in deep ancient science that will actually impact your body in a positive way. Yes, yes. And that's a great, uh, that's a great one. That's a great question. Um, Because we are already doing a lot of things, but we just want to identify them, like you said, not as fads and understand why and where they come from. So one of the biggest ones is intermittent fasting, right? And um, that actually comes from Ayurveda. It has tremendous literature on it. And what we're actually doing is, you know, instead of loading our digestive system with constant food. So it's like this, when you're constantly eating and snacking and it's like before it can process a previous meal, now you've given it new food. What actually happens is there's undigested toxic waste from the previous meal, which now sticks and clogs your body's channels and goes everywhere, kind of travels with your blood and plasma. And the concept of intermittent fasting is that if you have reached a stage like that, or if, you know, which I think a lot of people are today, uh, or sometimes foods that are extremely heavy, even if you're not overly snacking, but foods that are not, you know, which are kind of junk processed heavy. So intermittent fasting, which comes from Ayurveda, gives you great opportunity that then to give your digestive fire by not giving it food and your fire, your enzymes still kind of come, become active at a timing that they're used to being active. But now they have no choice but to digest that toxic undigested waste, which is clogged in your channels Mm -hmm. since you're not giving it any additional food. So it's like putting your oven on a self-clean mode. That's what a self-cleaning mode in the oven does. There is still heat, but it gives a good scrub to the internal oven so that's what intermittent fasting does. And, the, and the, the right way to do it is to eat in the hours that the sun is out because uh, our circadian rhythms, you know, we are very much in tune with the 
timing of the universe as diurnal mammals. And the, the ideal way to do it is eat two meals, one and a half meal, whatever, you know, two and a half meals, maximum two and a half meals. Unless you're children, then you can eat three full meals, meals. But otherwise, two and a half meals in the hours, in the eight hours that the sun is at its peak. So that's one of those, uh, one of those great practices. You know, some of the others are tongue scrubbing, right? Scrubbing your tongue. That is um, directly from Ayurveda. And uh, what that, that does is the understanding that our tongue is actually the start of our digestive system. Right. And, you know, sometimes when you have to toxic digested waste, it's like when the pipes are clogged in your kitchen, right? And if they continuously clogged, you will see residue kind of come up to the top, right? You'll see like this whole, you know, this uh, sewage come to the top. Sure. In, yeah. Right. And that's what happens. Your tongue is really uh, bad. But more than that, also your tongue has nerve endings, which are connected to different parts in your digestive system. When you scrub your tongue, you firstly get a chance to, you know, kind of eliminate some of that coating that comes on your tongue, but you also get a chance to stimulate those nerves, which then kind of travel, the, that stimulation travels all the way to your gut, stimulating production of certain enzymes as well as organs to get it all activated. Mm. And so what is that? Is, so I, I, I practice that uh, tongue scraping in the morning when I brush my teeth. What is like the ideal amount uh, sort of habit to incorporate when it comes to is it once a day is it twice a day is it um is it different from person mm -hmm. to person right no so that is a part of dinner or daily regimen and uh and, and the right time to do it is in the morning is okay. basically in the morning and so that's perfect right even oil pulling right oil pulling mm -hmm. has become such a big trend directly again from the Ayurvedic text. And, and the best part is uh, that it's not in code language. It's not that, oh, I could interpret it that came from there. It's extremely well explained how to do it. So oil pulling again, right, is uh, one of those practices and it can be done every day by everybody for the nourishment. Again, the, the concept of moisture, as you, as you might notice, is such an important concept everywhere. And what oil pulling does, not only does it exercises the muscles in your mouth, which don't get your cheeks, don't get that kind of exercise. It actually allows for that oil to penetrate in this whole region above your shoulders, you know, go through minute channels, as well as protect your gum, gums, as well as your teeth. Because the amount of food, the hot foods we eat, the junk foods we eat, all of that kind of needs, you know, the insides of our teeth actually need some level of lubrication. And that's what this oil pulling also provides. And so how can people determine, like, there's, there's all these different habits, and we can get into more as well, but there, it, there's such a menu of things to choose from. How do you know which ones are right for your body to incorporate? So I'll tell you, like, there is, there is a whole list of dinacharya or daily regimens, right? That has a, that the, the first, the third chapter of the Ayurvedic text, the ancient text, which was written thousands of years ago, it has, and it has all of these practices. But what I tell everybody is don't beat yourself up on it, right? Because Ayurveda is more about truths than practices. What you can do comfortably, right? What's working for you? Because if it's going to create stress for you rather than helping you, you're already beating the purpose because then you're adding to anxiety and anxiety has its own repercussions, which Ayurveda states very clearly and openly, 
right? So then you want to kind of keep, they, they, they all, these all will work for everybody. You know, I, I would say notice if your digestion is weak, do the tongue scrubbing. If you think you're, you know, your gum and your whole this head region needs a little bit more help, do the oil pulling. If you have the time, do both, you know? Okay. Yeah. So I think to each his own, but like we can all do as much as we can incorporate, like a few things like, Abhyanga or body oil massage yeah. is one thing that I would recommend almost everybody, you know, for everybody to do because, and, and we can talk a little bit more about why that is so, so important. Yeah. I would actually love to talk a little bit more about that. It's actually something I was talking to somebody about yesterday, especially right now, because so many people are going to be lacking physical touch in general, being isolated and if you're mm. quarantined at home by yourself. So my assumption is that it would be even more beneficial just to have that added element of, of, of touch. But from an Ayurvedic perspective, why is it so beneficial? Yeah, and that's why I love Ayurveda, right? Because it lists all of these benefits, uh, benefits, including the benefit of touch. And what touch does is it reroutes something called vata, which is the wind element, uh, and which kind of, you know, creates... Um, creates chaos in your nervous system, that wind element. So what that touch and that oil does, it reroutes and it settles that element, that kind of state in your body and brings you to a more warmer, moist state again. And that oil massage. So first, let me talk about how that oil massage is to be done. And then we can talk about. So the ideal way to do the oil massage is to, before you're going to shower, about 10, 15 minutes to get to massage. even if it's for five or 10 minutes, I usually get a glass spray bottles and I keep my Stephanie oil in it. That's what works for my body. It works for a lot of people, especially in cold countries. And I spray, spray it on my body and I vigorously, you know, kind of uh, massage my arms and my legs, my feet, you know, ears, whatever, whatever is required. After that, ideally, uh, you know, you could, we should wait for 15 minutes, either get into a steam room if that's available, even if it's once a year, or get, out, get some sunlight. Even if you're sitting at home, be in a corner where there is sunlight. And you'll, it'll be ama- you'll be amazed, right? Back then, they understood that you can absorb vitamin D, even though it was not called vitamin D. But when you have that oil on you, the absorption of vitamin D from the sun rapidly increases. Mm. Your skin is as much a channel of consumption as your mouth is. Sure, yeah. And then after, after 10, 15 minutes, and you may not always be able to do these 10, 15 minutes, and that's fine, you know. Uh, you know, you have to forgive yourself when you can't. But even if once a week you can get that sun with that oil on your body, it's great. And then get into, the, and then you can jump into the shower. And with warm water, not hot, warm water, you can wash yourself off. Chances are whatever need, needed to be absorbed by your skin has already been absorbed. You're in a good place. And that's how Abhyanga works. And that's the benefit is, is regulation of your nervous system and, cre- and, and supporting that warm, moist environment as well as absorption of vitamin D and the amount of radiation that we are uh, exposed to, right? It will significantly help us protect ourselves because it goes to a cellular level to be uh, affected by that radiation. And would it even be beneficial if, if you, like you said, you didn't have time for that 10, 15 minutes in the sun, you just had time for maybe the five minute self-massage and then get in the shower? Would that still be of it benefit? Would st- 
Yes, because it would still help with the rerouting of the vata uh, or, or that, you know, or the regulation of the nervous system to create that environment. It will also coat your nerves with that myelin sheath, which is essential, which is a very, very essential to, the, to your brain health. And you mentioned sesame oil. What are some, some other kind of oils that people can use that are effective? You know, so I'll tell you, um, some people might use coconut oil, but I feel like that's a very tricky, you get medicated oils and ghees. And I think people, that's something that you can look up because there are so many that are available today. But Banyan Botanicals is a good source to, you know, kind of find, you know, find an oil that works for you depending on whether your body is hot or cold or dry. And you can do an assessment for that or even use your intuition to ask, you know, to kind of, if you start thinking about it, even, you know, let's say today, and you've never heard about this before, and you bring that idea to your mind of the warm, moist environment, and start noticing little things in your life, you know, that, oh my God, like, look, I felt cold, hey, my skin is dry, or my gut feels bloaty, or it feels hot, maybe, right? So you kind of start getting an understanding, you start tuning into your own body, and um, then you'll be able to figure out what type are you, which is the three doshas, which I'm not going to go into uh, detail for now. But Banyan Botanicals Online has a quiz. I think much more effective than the quiz is really tuning into your own body and being able to. And it's a journey, right? As long as we've started the journey, that's what counts. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there's, um, there's so much to learn and every, everyone's body is so unique and different and individual. And, and hopefully in a future episode, we will dive into doshas, which are, as you said, a whole nother conversation. Um, yes. But yeah, there, there's, you know, like you said, just starting is, is a great first step. It is. Yeah. And I actually, you know, kind of people who are just starting out on this journey, I would like to tell them that stay away from doshas from now, you know, start exploring your body for its qualities, you know, and, you know, whatever word comes to you, just how we look at our emotions. And, we, you know, sometimes we're asked to journal our emotions and there's no right or wrong word. Notice the qualities that you experience in your body and start journaling that, you know, I felt cold or dry or hot, whatever it is, start journaling any experience you have. At, at the physical realm in your body. And um, that's, that's a very good place to start. So you'll understand whether you're Florida in spring, Florida in summer, Arizona, Alaska, whatever your internal state is. Yeah, I, I love yeah. those analogies too, because that I feel like when you hear that, it probably re- will resonate like, oh yeah, I do feel that way, like that climate. Yeah, 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 basically, right? And, uh, and once you get on this path, there is no coming back because it's, it's yeah. brilliant. So there's a few other habits I'm curious to get your take on um, that I, I'd love to ask you about. Um, one that comes to mind is um, dry brushing. I think there's a lot out there on that right now. Does, is, does that have its roots in Ayurveda? What are your thoughts on dry brushing? Right, right. And you know, Megan, um, you asked me this question earlier, yeah, like the neti pot, dry brushing, all of that has its roots in Ayurveda as well. So that dry brushing is not actually for everybody, you know, Uh, everybody can do it maybe once or twice a week, but it's not for everybody. It's more for people who definitely have their channels blocked. So to make it simpler, let me tell you who it's not for. It's not for anybody who's extremely depleted, undernourished, or like even emaciated, anybody who's overly, overly depleted, even overly skinny. You know, if your BMI is less than normal, I would say that's not for you dry brushing, you know, it's going to aggravate and increase metabolism and really kind of move things faster than you can afford 
for them to move. Anybody else can, you know, do it safely. Most people, I would say once or twice a week is, is plenty. There is just a very small population, small percentage of people who may benefit from it on a daily basis. Okay, got it. That, and see, these are the things that are, are good to know because a lot of times that you'll read an article out there, see something about what, what seems like a health trend or fad, yeah. And what works for one person doesn't work for, for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, there was a little disturbance, but yeah, you're right. What works for one man's bread is another man's poison. And that's a very important concept in Ayurveda and you know, the concept of bio-individuality and um, for Ayurveda to know so precisely back then that this, you know, this is so true. Even, even, even the concept of inflammatory foods, uh, you know, it's something so recent in our times. Uh, that they're foods that can, cause, that can cause inflammation. And Ayurveda has a whole list of them. You know, it's amazing. To me, it's amazing to read these things. Yeah, absolutely. And so are you saying that there have, there have always been foods that cause inflammation? or Absolutely. Okay, yeah, so it's they... not just like the, the processed foods that, that we know cause inflammation. Yes, there have always been foods that can cause inflammation in the body. And Ayurveda talks very, very well about them, what those foods are at the same time what kind of uh, symptoms can they produce and today when we see you know autoimmune disorders we see inflammatory conditions Ayurveda had listed them previously in a very concise and precise manner so yeah inflammatory foods have always existed or the properties that an inflammatory food would have has always been listed in Ayurveda mm, okay so another uh, thing that's kind of a, a trend these days that I'm curious to get your take on is um, cold therapy. That's something that hmm. a lot of people are doing in, in the world of like athletic recovery and performance. Um, there are people out there who have coupled um, breath work with, with cold therapy. What is an Ayurvedic perspective on cold therapy or cold exposure? Right. Right. So the breath work, right, definitely again comes from Ayurveda, right? The uh, pranayam and all of that breath work. It was used extensively by by the rishis or the sages who breath work was utilized by them to produce that heat. The combination of breath work internally to create heat so that you can give yourself your body rapid cold exposure or intense cold exposure. Um, the, the concept is to try to balance that, you know, create, generate internal heat so then you can expose your muscles to these cold temperatures and create some level of recovery. Now, this is a very new concept. It does not, I can understand the principle, using the principles of Ayurveda, I can understand what they're trying to do, which is this, basically. The breath work allows you to still maintain heat and then your muscles can be exposed to uh, these cooler temperatures so that they can heal. And uh, Ayurveda is actually kind of very careful about using anything that is cold. So you'll see in all of the treatments, nothing cold has ever, ever been mentioned. No cold foods, no cold temperatures, nothing cold. The only thing that we do is protecting yourself from the cold. But why in today's day and age? Because we have so much excess heat exposure, whether it's radiation or it's just muscle injury and all of those other things that I think people are beginning to understand that, or at least beginning to feel like the cold 
you know, cold therapy may have its benefits. But if you're talking about things like even like colon therapy or, you know, hydrotherapy for the colon, extremely contraindicated in Ayurveda, like very, very dangerous. Okay, so colon hydrotherapy is is contraindicated, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, in Ayurveda, you do practice enemas, right? Yes, very different. Okay. And just because of, of like the quantity of water? Or no, oil enemas, or yes. They're always medicated enemas. They are never really uh, enemas which have water in them. It's always oh, okay. like a decoction. It's always warm. So it's very, very strict. In fact, it's so strict that, you know, we're kind of constantly measuring the temperature, like even two minutes right before we administer it. Like that's how particular it is. It's always body temperature, warmer than body temperature. It's always a decoction mm. with a certain amount of oil or it's a complete medicated oil enema. Okay. And the uh, purpose is very different. You know what oil does? Again, it reroutes that element of wind. Uh, you know, let's just say that there's air trapped everywhere in our body. And what that enema with oil does, oil is naturally heavy and dense. It kind of attracts all of that wind and grounds it. The, the air in your body that's trapped either in your joints or in your gut is supposed to always be rerouted through the anus. And when you administer, administer an oil enema, you're actually allowing that oil to pull down all of, you know, it magnetically pulls down that air and then it can be eliminated through your anus. Okay, got it. Yeah, gosh, it's so fascinating. Like, I think that there's so much out there that... Um, can people, it can be dangerous when people don't have like the, the right um, science or perspective or, or even, you know, professional, medical professional administering um, these kinds of practices rather Absolutely. than just diving into it. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I keep saying, right, go back to the principles, right? Like verify everything with the basic ground level principles. And uh, that's why I encourage people to first study the principles and then the practices. So even when we talked about the, the doshas, I said, first start talking about the qualities that your body is experiencing, because that is when things will start making sense. So if people do want to learn more about the principles, what are some good resources that you would recommend to, to learn from? You know, I would say, I mean, see, because I have studied only from the ancient texts, right? But the one thing that I would suggest is find the 20 gunas or properties of the human body, right? And literally write, like put them, make a chart of those 20 gunas. And everything that you experience, take them through those 20 gunas and, and mark out what guna. So for example, Megan, the gunas or the properties are hot, cold, light, heavy, smooth, rough, you know, these, these 10 opposites, right? And then start assessing, if you have any symptoms, start assessing where it falls in the spectrum. Okay. Right. And then kind of study the five elements, the five elements on the planet. And in terms of resources, I mean, I suggest uh, there's a Maharishi website, there's Banyan Botanicals, but I'll still be honest with you. It is always best to study with a teacher or a mentor. Because right. this science is a read, read between the lines science. And um, so when you say the five elements on the earth, you, you mean uh, wind, water, fire, earth. Is that what you're referring to? Exactly. And those five elements exist in our body. They exist in our food. They exist in the universe. Mm -hmm. And for us to learn to decode and identify these elements and how they, how they manifest in our body, 
also then allows us to see when they're depleted, when they're, when, when they're not depleted, and then how to replenish them if they're depleted, right? So understanding, between understanding those properties, those 20 properties and understanding of the five elements, when you really master those two concepts, I would say like you're ready to really take on this journey of Ayurveda. And so it sounds like a lot of the practice is really, you know, just getting to understand your own body. It's, it's more of a self-study than it is a study of, of, I mean, you are studying the science, but you're really studying how it applies to y- your own internal state and reaction. You know what? You, you, you got that right. It's exactly that. It's literally demystifying the inside of your own human body, right? Of your personal, your unique body. That's what it all is. That's what it's all about. Anything else is a distraction. The minute you've done that, you understand what tongue scrubbing is doing for you. Like what element, what property is it adding? What element is it supporting? What every, every practice you then do, you can start understanding, you know, what property is it supporting and what element is it working on and does what is it going to do right so like water and heat are both elements warmth and moisture and to assess the state of those two elements in your body uh, you know is very useful but once you've studied these properties and these five elements it becomes very intuitive i love that too because it, it probably helps with habit formation and sticking to these habits as well when you really understand why at the core they're impacting you and how they're impacting you and, you know, it's not just something you're arbitrarily doing, but you, you know what it's doing to your internal state. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is, right? I mean, anything becomes more sustainable when you're not following it as a prescription. Uh, you know, the sad part is a lot of people are practicing Ayurveda as a prescription science, which means, hey, do this, it's good for you, or do that, it's bad for you. Sure. But that's a prescription science. It's not, or, or a practice-based science. Hey, this practice is great. The neti pot is great. But when it's principles, you understand at a, at a basic foundational level why it is creating a shift. And unless you're doing that, you're not practicing Ayurveda. You're just practicing another form of just like another health fad. Oh, wow. Okay, that's so interesting because one of the last questions that I always love to ask people who come on the show is, what is one of your favorite personal daily practices? But I feel like instead I want to ask you, like, what is one of your personal principles that that guide your practices? That is great. That was a very great quick modification. And then I can tell you based on the principle, what practices I, I, I adopt. Okay, right? perfect. Right? Yeah. So again, my basic principle is everything should be warm and moist. Uh, everything. So I'm going to give you the practices that I personally do. I am always sipping warm tea uh, with, and if I put any herbs in it, I know that these are herbs that are kind of adding to the moisture in my body. Like for example, licorice. Mm. Uh, or, you know, sometimes cardamom, things like that. So warm and moist liquids. My food is always warm and moist, which means I will never eat anything dry. If, it's, if I want to indulge in popcorn, it will still have the butter uh, and it'll be fresh. So it's warm and it's moist. There's no dry crackers, nothing. If I want to have a cracker, it will have warm ghee on top. So my foods are warm and moist. Uh, I'm always sipping warm and moist tea. I'm actually always, there's, uh, even though I live in New York and it can be cold, so we have heat on in the house, but there'll always be a cool mist humidifier, like a warm mist humidifier, sorry. So there is humidity, again, uh, warmth. I'll always, I'll be doing my abhyanga with warm, moist oil. So as much as I can, I'll, I'll always be dressed warmly, 
never exposing myself unnecessarily so that my body doesn't have that extra load of maintaining homeostasis. Mm. So basically I just, I drive myself, whatever I do by these two principles, even sleep, sleep is warm and moist. Uh, the concept of sleep, I will make sure that I have enough sleep. I'm always assessing everything that I'm doing with this whole warm and moist uh, meter. And that is the number one principle that I, I follow. Man, you, I, I'm so eager and excited to go do a little bit more of my own research and, and exploration of these different states and qualities now so I can look at like, okay, how have my practices been serving me or not? And are they aligned with uh, the, the principle of, of getting myself back into balance? Yeah, I'm so excited for that too. Unfortunately, I feel like there's not a lot of that stuff online. But yes, we can talk more and more. And I do personally on my page on Instagram, try and put as much as I can. And if you, if you would dig deeper, you would realize that it's all about bringing us back to warm and moist states. And so somebody who's overly hot has to kind of, you know, take that down, uh, down a notch, especially in terms of spicy foods, fermented foods, and all of that. It's just, it's an impeccable science. I'm not, no, no kidding. So for people who are looking for a practitioner and, and want to learn more about the work that you do and, and what you share, where can they find you? So I would say right now, the most active is my Instagram. I also have a website, which is nidhipandya.com. My Instagram is my underscore Ayurvedic underscore life. So that's my underscore Ayurvedic underscore life. Uh, they can find me there. They can check out my, my work, my IGTV videos, and that's a good place to get in touch with me as well. Amazing. I will link all of that in the show notes below. So everyone who's listening right now, I highly recommend that you go and follow Niti because her content is, is so insightful and, and really, really helpful. And I think you'll definitely find a lot of value in it. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you you sharing your knowledge and expertise and I'm definitely Yes, absolutely. It was lovely talking to you today. And for everybody who is tuning in, as always, if you know somebody who you think might benefit from this episode, make sure that you share it with them. Um, subscribe to the show if you haven't already so that you can be the first to hear the latest episodes. And as always, until next time, have a happy and healthy day.